Let's open our Bibles back to Acts chapter 2. Do you comprehend and appreciate what we've already considered? That God has come to earth to dwell in men. The Creator God. The only true and living God. As the Bible would describe Him, the great and dreadful God. The Creator of all things. Dwells inside men by His Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is God. He is fully God and equal to God in every respect. He is a person of the Godhead. We use that designation, though it's not found in our Bibles, to help us understand. There is one God that reveals Himself to us in three persons. And He is God that dwells in us. So that it can be said the Father and the Son both dwell in us and abide with us forever through the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, and I will not repeat myself except to say this. These that were convicted, that said, these are fabulous truths that we've just heard. What should we do? And they were told to repent and be baptized in verse 37 and 38. And so they were baptized and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And look at the character change that took place in them. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. There was a 180 degree reversal in their life. They had crucified the Lord of glory 50 days earlier or approved of it themselves. And now, now they were wanting to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and those fishermen that had been ennobled by the power of the Holy Ghost. They were, they were in fellowship with them. They, they broke bread. They, they had the Lord's Supper. They ate together. They were in prayer together. They were full of the fear of God. They shared everything they had with one another. They continued daily in total unity in the temple. They ate their meat with gladness. They had a single heart in serving Christ. There was no division. Because the Holy Spirit never makes division unless it's to divide and separate from error. But there was no error here. It was truth because He is the Spirit of truth. And He had poured out His truth on this church. They were praising God and they had favor with all the people. They were a blessed church. Even their enemies allowed them the privilege of worshiping in the temple for a while. Because God the Holy Spirit was restraining any enemies of them. This is a great blessing. This is a great event in history. Approximately this time of the year, sometime in May of the year 30 A.D., this event took place. I don't know if there was an armistice signed between France and Germany at the end of World War I or not. I'm not sure. I hope you all know I'm making a point. Don't send me any links. The point I want to make is, this is history we want to lay hold of. This is history we want to grasp, take into our hearts, and say, what does it have for me? That history, world history, doesn't have anything much for us. This history has something for us because it said, and to all those that are afar off. We are a long ways away from Jerusalem. I've never been on a Holy Land tour First of all, I would never go on a Holy Land tour, even if I went to Israel, because I don't believe that land is holy. I believe that the Piedmont of South Carolina is as holy as Israel. 
God's left that piece of sand over there. But He's here among us right now. By His Spirit. Enoch and Noah walked with God. We read those words and they're so precious to us. We wish we could walk with God like they did. Enoch walked so closely with God that he didn't die. One day he was walking along with God, going about his business, and God took him. He went straight into heaven. God just took him. Noah walked with God, and the Lord delivered him from the flood that he brought upon the earth. What should we get out of today? I don't want to bore you, and I mean that in a respectful way. I don't want to bore you with too many theological details or too many chronological points of the Spirit's operations. What I want us to get is the benefit of having the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, marriages, families, and church. The danger of losing that and its consequences. And what the Bible teaches us are the means of stirring up the Holy Ghost to have more of them. That's what I want you to go home with. The benefits of having the Spirit, the danger of losing the Spirit, and the means of keeping and increasing the Spirit of God. Does that make sense to you as something we can try to get out of the pages of Scripture? That's what we want to do. This is probably the most important subject I could take up with you. Many Baptists neglect the Holy Spirit. It's because they're afraid of the Pentecostals and Charismatics. Well, we don't want to look like the Pentecostals, so they don't say much about the Holy Spirit. We want to steer between the extremes of the Charismatics who put too much emphasis on the Spirit of God and who break every rule he ever put in the New Testament. If you ever watch a group of Pentecostals or Charismatics speak in tongues, they will, if you'll give them five minutes, break every rule that the New Testament gives about the speaking in tongues. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We don't want it, we don't want that ditch, and we don't want the ditch of Baptists who don't want to talk about the Spirit of God lest they look like that ditch. We want to go down the middle of the road. We want to see some things in the charismatics that are good. I'll tell you one thing, they're happier than most Baptists. And they like to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ more than most Baptists. We want to go down the highway of holiness as defined and laid out by God's Word. Lord, help us. Help us do that. There will be no revival in your heart, no revival in your marriage, your families, your church, or our nation without the Holy Spirit of God. Revival is by the power of the Spirit. Churches can plan revivals, but the Holy Spirit gives them. Putting a sign up in your front yard saying, Revival next week. That is so amusing. Revival next week. It's like they think it's something on a shelf that you can drop five bucks in an offering plate and pull it off and get a revival. You can't plan a revival like that. The Holy Spirit gives revival. Reviving, revivication is to put life back where it's gone. Revival. That's the Holy Spirit's work. To stir you up and to quicken you. Not in original or initial quickening called regeneration, but in that renewal that we need How often do you need it? I'll tell you how often I need it. I need it several times a day. I need to be revived daily. I can go almost stone cold dead with a few bad things happening to me. So I need to be revived. And I'm sorry for confessing my total weakness. I'm sorry that I'm glad that none of you are like that. But I'm so thankful for God, the Holy Spirit. He does revive me. I had an event this past week. I don't tell very many stories, and you know that. 
So forgive me one more time. I had an event this past week that had me upset. I knew what I needed to do. The Spirit of God is not in a closet. The Spirit of God is not got... I don't have a jar in the pantry. I have His words. I jumped into a chair, opened my Bible to the book of Ephesians, and the Holy Spirit laid a jewel on me. My wife knows about it. No one else is going to know about it. My wife knows about it. Amazing. You know how many seconds it was. Seconds. Perfect. Listen, that book is written to millions and millions of souls. How could it have something perfect for me? Because an author wrote this book that has infinite wisdom and knowledge, and he is able to write it for every single one of us, plus the countless millions of others who trust the Word of God and who have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led my fingers. I I turned to my wife and I said, there's 31,117 verses in the Bible. How could I land on this one in 10 seconds? I I give God the glory. I'm nothing. I hate my, I hate stories like that, but I have to tell you, or I wouldn't be giving Him any glory. This is what I'm talking about. Oh Lord, help us to walk with Your Spirit every day. Revive us again. We know there's no revival without You. And there's gonna be no revival in a nation where men are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. The Holy Spirit is not gonna help men who love pleasure more than they love God. And so I ask you today, right now, do you love God more than you love pleasure? If you don't, you're in trouble as far as living a spirit-filled, powerful life. You're in deep trouble. I don't care where you get your pleasure from. If you're looking for fun, excitement, and all those kinds of things in this world, you'll never have the spirit-filled life. You'll never walk with God. You will not be filled with His joy. He will not be leading you wherever you go. He will not have your hand in His hand. He will not. Because he's offended, he's grieved, and he's quenched by you getting so much pleasure out of this life instead of thinking about him and the life he's promised you by eternal inheritance. Last Lord's Day, I told you about our, our necessity of relying upon him personally. Personally. The Holy Spirit has done so much for us from the beginning of the world. Right. He moved upon the face of the waters. The creation was done by the Holy Spirit of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's start going through the pages of Scripture and see what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit. Do you know that you were elected to two things? God the Father elected you to salvation through the, to the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God in His eternal counsel before He created Adam and Eve determined the way of salvation by a covenant among Himself. You say, among requires more than one, and you said Himself. That's a singular male pronoun. Are you confused? No. That's why when you go to Genesis chapter 1 and read about the creation of the world, and God said, let us... Make man in our image. Yeah, okay. That's as far as I can go, brethren. (laughs) When there's one God and three persons, do you know what I hide with? I'm going to tell you. I have a hiding place. God made me a little secret hiding place, and that's where I go to hide when somebody says, Could you elaborate? 
Psalm 131 and verse 1. I will not exercise myself in matters too high for me. Seriously. That verse is in the Bible for a good reason. For me. I will not exercise myself in matters too high for me. Enough about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. God elected us to the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ through the sanctification of the Spirit of God. God, the Holy Spirit, regenerates us and applies the work of Christ in the vital phase of salvation by making us a holy new nature inside. You have two men in you. An old man you got from your first parents, a new man you got from the Father in heaven by the sanctifying power of the Holy Ghost. You have a new man that the Bible says is created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24 But let's go to 1 Corinthians 6 and look at the personal things the Holy Spirit has done for us. In verses 9 and 10 are a long list of terrible sins. And we find in verse 11 that the apostle wrote this church and said, And such were some of you. The members of the church at Corinth, Greece, had a bunch of sinners among themselves, like listed here in verses 9 and 10. Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. The washing were made clean. The forgiveness. The being made holy, which is sanctification. The justification. Being declared righteous before God. All that took place by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Now remember, we've been to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. That's how close the Holy Spirit is. He's within us. And so we need to conduct ourselves in such a way as not to offend, grieve, or quench the Holy Spirit in us. But brethren, and we've spent enough time on that over the last couple of weeks, let's look at another aspect of the Holy Spirit with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that is your physical body. In 1 Corinthians 6, when it says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, if you go back there and read the nine verses of context from 12 through 20, it says, Meats for the belly, the belly for meats. God shall destroy both it and them. Jesus died for our body. He's going to raise our body. You put your body in bed with a prostitute. It's called a, called a harlot. Be, be, being made one flesh, two shall become one. It's talking about a physical body. Very important to get that lesson and to understand that the sin in 1 Corinthians 6 is fornication, which is very offensive to the Spirit of God. Amen. But now we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we have the same wording, but a totally different thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is why the Bible tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. That's right. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not. Does that sound familiar to chapter 6? See, the verse ends with a question mark, just like it does in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Know ye not? This is a basic fundamental point of truth. A basic fact about Christianity. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. This is not the physical body. 
This chapter isn't talking about the physical body. It's not talking about fornication. It's talking about the local church at Corinth and the effect upon it by false teachers and the division and strife that was among them because of division by these teachers. If you were to read the whole chapter, it should be very simple to you. This is not the body. This is one temple that ye all are. Because ye all are the temple of God, your habitation of God through the Spirit. If any man defile the temple, what's he talking about here? Fornication? No, not at all. He's talking about any man preaching anything else than the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I've laid the foundation as the wise master builder. If anyone else comes along and preaches anything else and builds wood, hay, and stubble upon my foundation of gold, silver, and precious stones, God will destroy him for messing the church of God. Come over to Ephesians chapter 2. This is another relationship we have with the Spirit of God, and we get it by being part of a local body and coming into its formal assemblies where we worship God together. God is dwelling in this temple. He doesn't dwell in fancy temples like the Taj Mahal or, or some meteor that fell from heaven in Mecca or in some temple that could be rebuilt in Jerusalem or in some big fancy church in Rome. That's not where God is met. God is met by His saints in an assembly where they worship and meet in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 2 is about as we work our way down to the bottom of the chapter Written to Gentiles, we have these words beginning in verse 19. Now therefore, because of what Jesus Christ did that I've just described in the previous ten verses, now therefore, verse 19, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom, that is in Jesus Christ, all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The church at Ephesus, by the 22nd verse, the church at Ephesus by itself was builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. When we come into an assembly of baptized believers loving the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit comes in here with us. God is present in His temple. Oh, I didn't know that going to church was... I just thought you did something for an hour or two on Sundays called going to church. No, we're coming into the temple of the living God. And God the Holy Spirit is here among us. It wouldn't matter... If we walked out the door and did this in the parking lot, he'd still be among us because it doesn't have a thing to do with this room. It has to do with us being a unified congregation brought together by one faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and being baptized in his glorious name and committing ourselves to one another. We become a temple in the Lord. Wouldn't matter if we were inside or outside because the Lord doesn't care about the room. We could meet anywhere and we have over the years. At the end of each address in Revelations chapters two, Revelation chapters two and three, at the end of each address to each church, it says, "Hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." God the Holy Spirit has a very close, very detailed, very personal, very intimate relationship with every one of His churches. Right. Hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. 
And he's addressing us today about himself from his word. Look at Romans 14, a verse you know well. I, I hope that by the grace of God, my repetitions are to your profit. I know when I repeat most of the time. It'll become less of the time, but most of the time I know. Romans 14 and verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is New Testament religion. We have this relationship on a personal basis. We have this relationship with God on a church basis. And this is how we can serve God acceptably and be approved of men. Is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not an it. He's not a thing. He's not a a force field. He's not an emanation. He is a personal being called God. Many verses could be looked at to prove this. In in Acts chapter 5, and you're not too far away, in Acts chapter 5, Ananias was accused of lying to the Holy Ghost and of lying to God. Because God is the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is God. To lie to the one is to lie to the other because they're the same. The Holy Ghost is God. It's God the Holy Spirit. He is referred to under masculine pronouns. Look at John chapter 14. John 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom, not which, but whom, whom the Father will send in my name, he, not it, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's John fourteen twenty six. The Holy Spirit is referred to with personal pronouns because he is a person. I want our children to stop talking with the Holy Spirit as an it. I want us adults to stop talking with the Holy Spirit as an it because the Holy Spirit is God himself. He's not an it. He's not a force. He's not an emanation. There's nothing all that mystical about him because he is God, the Spirit. The Bible tells us he searches and knows, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He speaks, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. He speaks. This is not a thing. This is a person. This is God himself. He searches and knows, 1 Corinthians 2. He speaks, 1 Timothy 4. He teaches, John 14, 26, where we are. He commands, Acts 13, 2. He commanded the apostles and the prophets and the teachers that were at Antioch to separate a couple of men for a special trip. He intercedes, Romans chapter 8. He's a mediator. He comforts, John 14. He witnesses, Hebrews 10, 15. He can be lied to, he can be tempted, and he can be grieved. That is a personal being. That is the Holy Spirit of God. So let's, let's take precautions that we do not speak of him as an it. But we speak of him as God himself. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me quickly review the five phases of salvation with you and see the Spirit of God involved in all of them. The Spirit of God involved in the eternal covenant of grace was assigned to apply the work of Jesus Christ to us individually and personally. And unless there is some point from your conception to your death where the Holy Spirit of God doesn't sanctify you and cause you to be born again and give you a new man created in righteousness and true holiness, you're not one of His. You're not one of the elect of God. You are not on your way to heaven. Because you must be sanctified. 
Sanctification is not a difficult concept. It's simply words to set something apart or to consecrate it and make it holy for the use of God. That's what the word sanctify means. That's why we refer to a church meeting place as the sanctuary because it's supposed to be a holy place. We refer to godly people as saints because they're sanctified people. Sanctification means to make something holy and consecrate it for God's use. By our first birth, there is nothing holy about us. By our second birth, we have a new man that is very holy. He is perfectly holy. And God the Holy Spirit must apply the work of Christ to give us that holy, vital nature. And that happens when we're born again. But look at when he was assigned in the eternal covenant of grace in the Godhead to do that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks all way to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And in that order. God the Holy Spirit has to sanctify us, then we can believe the truth. You don't believe the truth in order to get sanctified by the Holy Spirit. If that were the case, would you tell me which part of you is believing the truth? If you're not born again, which part of you is believing the truth? The old man. Would you show me in the Bible where an old man can believe truth and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? You have to be given that new man and made holy first, then you can believe the truth. But notice, when did this all originate? From the beginning. Before the world began. This assignment was made and it was brought out, brought to pass in time. That's the eternal phase of salvation. Not what the Spirit does, but when the Spirit was assigned to it. Because God chose you to salvation from the beginning. And what that's, those steps included sanctification of the Spirit, which takes place during your lifetime when you're born again. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. I want to show you the Holy Spirit's involvement in the legal phase of salvation. There's, there's so many references that could be used here. Oh, there's, there's many. Did the Holy Spirit come upon Mary for Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin? Yes. Luke one thirty five tells us that. Was Jesus anointed with the Holy Ghost so that he could go around doing good and have an impeccable nature that could not sin? Yes, by the Holy Spirit. Did the Holy Spirit raise Jesus from the dead? Yes. Those are a lot of things done in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that, that's the legal basis for our salvation. But there's something else he did. And I'm going to excuse myself with Psalm 131 and verse 1. I'm not going to exercise myself in matters too high for me, but I'm going to show you the whole Bible. I just wasn't there, and I don't know more about it than what the Bible tells us. And here it is. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 14, how much more, the comparison here is between the animal blood of the sacrifices of the Old Testament and the precious blood of Christ. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Holy Spirit accompanied the Lord Jesus Christ into heaven, and by His gracious power, first of all, raising Him from the dead, second of all, transporting Him into heaven, delivered Him into the presence of God, where His blood was offered to God and accepted as a fit sacrifice for the sins of His people, and He sat down on the right hand of the, of the majesty on high, having purged us by Himself from our sins. Hebrews 1.3 But notice, the vehicle 
enabling and empowering the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a man, into heaven to offer his blood through the Holy Spirit. Why aren't these facts taught in history classes? Do you know what kind of an event we're talking about right there in Hebrews 9.14? For a man on earth to ascend into heaven, and he didn't need no Apollo or Saturn rockets to help get him there. They can barely escape the gravitational pull of earth, let alone go anywhere else. The Lord Jesus Christ in a human body went into heaven. And through the eternal spirit offered his bloody sacrifice to God and it was accepted. And he sat down because his work was finished. The work of redemption was finished. How much more should that move us is what the apostle here is arguing in Hebrews chapter 9. And then we're born again in time. Look at Titus. Titus chapter 3. Right there in front of the book of Hebrews. Titus chapter 3. Oh, this is, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. We're looking at some of his operations. The five phases of salvation. He's involved in all of them. Surprise, surprise. It shouldn't surprise anyone. Look at, look at Titus 3.3. 3. Do you fit Titus 3.3? 3? If you fit 3.3, 3, I hope you fit 5 through 7. Titus 3.3. 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. Have you ever been foolish? The Apostle Paul, writing to Tim, Titus, says, For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Ever been in that kind of character? Verse 4, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Look at the character we have by our first birth in verse 3. And if you won't admit it, I'll tell you that you fit verse 3. But then look at verses 4 through 7. It's the kindness and love of God that started the whole thing. It was paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that justified us, verses 6 and 7. But it's applied to us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Regeneration means to cause to be born again. You should be able to see that from the word. Regenerate. To be born again. To be renewed. To be washed. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born of the Spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. The wind outside goes wherever it wants to. You can hear the sound thereof. And you, but you cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. God chooses who's going to be born again, and the Holy Spirit changes them by regenerating them and giving them a new man. You have an old man by your first birth. You have a new man by your second birth. You have a new man by natural generation. You have a spiritual man by regeneration. And it's by the Holy Ghost. Look at Romans 8.11. 
Well, we're skipping a phase, and that's the practical phase of salvation. If you think you can believe the gospel and bear any fruit in your life without the Holy Spirit of God, you're a fatalist, and you're greatly confused. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can bear no fruit at all. Without me, Jesus said, ye can do nothing. And he was talking to men that were born again. But if they didn't abide in the vine Christ Jesus and have the nutritional sustenance flowing to them by the Spirit of God, I mean that spiritually, they wouldn't amount to anything. They wouldn't be able to do anything. Let's jump to the final phase of salvation. Romans chapter 8. I hope you know that most of what I'm preaching is about the practical phase. And without the Holy Spirit of God, you can't do anything. That's my whole point. Romans 8.11. This is exciting. Romans 8.11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead... Who's the Him? God. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead... Did God the Holy Spirit raise Jesus from the dead? Absolutely. Romans 1.4 But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. I have a Spirit in me that you can go ahead and toss me in a, in a hole six foot deep and put some concrete around me if you got enough money for it and put me down there, but I've got a spirit inside me that's not going to let that body be lost and is going to raise it again just like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was raised. It's by the power of the Holy Ghost. We, we, under, we understate the power of the Holy Ghost. We, we, we neglect the role that He has in our lives. May God help us to put Him in His proper place and to understand our dependency on Him from the beginning to the end. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying for us and praying according to the will of God in the last chapter of your Bibles? The Spirit and the Bride say, you say, that's a short prayer. Come. I want to tell you something. When the Holy Spirit prays it, it's prayed with groanings which cannot be uttered, and it's prayed according to the will of God. He's in this room, with us, among us. Do you pay attention every time we take a new member? And I pray, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And He's inside each one of us that are born again children of God. God the Holy Spirit. He will not lose my body. Listen, I can't even keep my body in shape. But my body can drop in the ground and God the Holy Spirit's going to bring it, take it to heaven. Just like He took the body of Jesus to heaven. You won't have vertigo even when you fly through space at speeds that have never been comprehended by man. He could spin you around and you still wouldn't get dizzy, brother. We're, we're going to heaven and we're not going to get dizzy and it's going to be a fast ride. And I don't, speak, I don't say that lightly. You know, we ought to believe it as practically as reading Second Kings chapter 2, Swing low, sweet chariot. Because there came the sweet chariot for Elijah and Elisha got to see it. Because Elisha had just said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, oh, what a prayer request. You've asked a hard thing. But if you see me go into heaven, God's going to give it to you. What would you have done if you'd have been Elisha? <laughs> I'd have held my eyelids open. Because you know the Lord can do things quickly. You know what? He saw him go into heaven. Oh, what a... You say, I wish I could pray like... He... Start praying like Elisha. The Lord answered it. Second Kings chapter 2, Taylor. Ask your dad to read it tonight before you go to bed. It's awesome. You want to read some awesome things? 2 Kings 2. 
Look at Job 26. What do you go to zoos for? Uh, Right now, I'm just going through some chronological operations of the Holy Spirit so that we appreciate, understand, worship, and adore Him. That we'll humble ourselves before the Spirit of God and know who we're talking about and what He's done. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The creation of this world was by the Spirit of God. Look at Genesis 2, I mean, Job, Job. Job 26 and verse 13. Talking about creation. Look at this. Look at 12. He divideth the sea with his power. And by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. When you look up and see stars, twinkling, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Where did those stars come from? He hath garnished the heavens. When you go to a restaurant and you find that little piece of parsley on your plate, which my father believes is good for his health, When you find that little piece of parsley, it's there as a garnish. Just a little piece of, sorry, decoration. You can read some good things about parsley once in a while. It's it's just a little bit of decoration. A little bit of green while you're looking at that big steak. He hath garnished the heavens. When you look up and you see a rainbow, when you look up and see stars, when you see a full moon, a crescent moon, when you see the sun, when you see the sun piercing through clouds, He's garnished the heavens. He put garnish in them for us so that we can see. You know, the the heavens go far beyond what you're able to see. The moon's only 240,000 miles away. You could get there in a few weeks of driving. As long as you had a foreign-made automobile. I mean, forget, oh, I didn't mean to. He's garnished the heavens. Do you know how much is beyond it? It's incredible. What you can see is just a little bit, but he's made it for. Why do you go to the zoo? That's where we were headed. The second part of verse 13. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Here the Spirit of God is called his hand because the Spirit is in verse 13. By his Spirit he hath garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. When you look at a serpent and see it on a piece of concrete and try to figure out how does it move as it twists and wiggles back and forth, the Holy Spirit does everything. Does everything. Glory be to God. He created the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in the womb of a virgin Named Mary. Praise the Lord. Do you know what the Bible says in Acts 10.38? That Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And went about doing good. That's what Peter told Cornelius. Because that is a testimony that Jesus was the Son of God. And on a divine mission from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is brought up when preaching is done. The Holy Spirit must be preached about. He must be named. Because he's named in the Bible and he's preached about in the Bible. When Peter had Cornelius in front of him, that Roman centurion of the Italian band, he said, God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good. That is part of preaching. We cannot neglect speaking of the power of God called the Holy Spirit. He is God himself with us, among us, in us. Look at Romans 15. Romans 15. What made Paul effective preaching throughout the world? Why could it be said of him that he turned the world upside down? He's going to tell you. I want you to know, this is a great mystery of godliness. These are facts that we're going over right now that ought to be in every history book. These are things that change the world. 
You want to talk about changing the world? They can fight all the wars they want to. World War II, after World War II, the nation of Japan was the same as, as before World War II. Germany and France were the same as before World War II. But I want to tell you something that changed when the Apostle Paul hit the world. When the Apostle Paul hit the world, Scythians became Christians. Jews became Christians. Greeks became Christians. Barbarians became Christians. There was a multinational, international change that took place where they all joined the kingdom of God under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is something to get excited about. That's a real change in earth's history. But they don't talk about it. Seriously. You know those names are in the New Testament that were all one in Christ. Crossing national boundaries. It didn't matter. By what power were these changes wrought? Let me read, look at these verses. Romans 15, verse 18. Romans 15, 18. Oh, there's so, oh, forgive me in my groaning. But there are other verses in Romans 15 that deserve to be read. But beginning at verse 18, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. I wouldn't tell you anything that Jesus didn't do by me. To make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. All these things that I'm about to tell you were done by Jesus Christ in me. Through mighty signs and wonders. By the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Illyricum is modern day Yugoslavia. And he says roundabout because he didn't get on a plane at the Jerusalem airport and fly to Yugoslavia. He went north to Antioch of Syria, across the Mediterranean Sea, through Turkey, through Greece, all the way up to what we would call Yugoslavia by the power of the Spirit of God, performing miracles at every stop so that they would know that this little man... This little Jew, despised by the rest of the world, was an ambassador of the high king of heaven by the power of the Spirit of God. And he turned the world upside down. And the mystery of godliness is this. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. This is what we believe. This is what needs to be taught. This is what our children need to love the most. The rest of the stuff is worthless, nonsensical, information. Let Google keep track of it. Our minds and hearts need to be keeping track of this and rejoicing in it. Please understand me, children. I just told you to go get an A tomorrow on your final exams. Uh, You all should know that. And if you don't, your parents, I'm sure, will take care of the misunderstanding when you get home. Did you know that the Spirit of God can use a reprobate? Did you know that Balaam prophesied very well? I love some of his prophecies, don't you? Let me die the death of the righteous. But there's just one problem. <laughs> he didn't. Do you know how he said those words? By the Spirit of God that came upon him. Judas Iscariot performed every miracle that Peter, James, and John did. That's why at the Last Supper they couldn't figure out who the betrayer was. By the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God's able to use anything he chooses to accomplish his purpose. I like in John chapter 12 where Kate. I think it's 11. The last part. Caiaphas, the high priest, prophesied to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even while they were in a conference, figuring out how are we going to kill him. That's the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit. He said, I just don't know what to do about my Johnny. I'm going to tell you what to do about your Johnny. 
And I used Johnny so I wouldn't embarrass anyone in here who has a name of your own. Or more. I don't know what I'm going to do about my Johnny. I'm going to tell you what to do. Get down on your knees and beg for God the Holy Spirit to make a change in Johnny. Because God the Holy Spirit is able to change Johnny. This is why I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit. This is one of the reasons I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can change any man's heart. And he doesn't have to work hard at it. And he's not worried or intimidated by the work. He can do it. When Moses picked 70 helpers, do you know what God told him to do? You go over and stand next to those 70 helpers and I'm going to take some of the spirit I've given to you and give them a little bit so that they can help you out. That's powerful. Before Moses died, he gave the spirit God had given him to Joshua. There's so many different references that we could look at. The spirit of God gives men revelation in the knowledge of God. Revelation, revelatory ability and power. The apostles were given supernatural knowledge prior to Pentecost when Jesus gave them the Holy Ghost and opened up their minds to understand the scriptures, Luke 24, 45. Knowledge is a spirit gift went away with the apostles. Do you know how we get knowledge now? We read and study God's word. And we need to read and study it a lot or we end up ashaming ourselves before God. That's according to Second Timothy 2.15. Paul didn't tell Timothy, sit back and wait for the gift of knowledge. He told Timothy, the gift of knowledge is going to pass away. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Now you study and show yourself a proven to God, a workman. And we've got to work at it. That's okay. The Spirit can empower men to become bolder. Remember Saul? Remember Joshua? Kings? Judges? Gideon? Jephthah? Samson? The Lord was able to make them bold and strong. John the Baptist, spirit and power of Elijah. How'd that happen? By the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. The comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what John 14, 15, and 16 was all about. What does it mean to comfort someone? It means to strengthen them, to encourage them, to hearten them, to inspirit them, to incite them, to be able to do what God wants them to do. To comfort somebody is to give them strength and encouragement to do what they ought to do. How do we get that comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit? John 7 that I read to you to start the service. He should be given to those that believe. The first thing we do to get the Holy Spirit is to believe. Then we obey. Look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. Those men in the day of Pentecost said, what shall we do? Peter told them what to do. To be baptized, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. That meant that they were believers on him, but they got baptized. Did they do it? Yes, they did do it. Acts 5, verse 32. And we are his witnesses of these things. This is Peter and the other apostles answering the authorities in Jerusalem. Acts five thirty-two. We are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. That was tough language. If, that was tough language because what Peter was saying is, you seminary graduates that are running the religious show in Jerusalem, you don't have the Holy Ghost, but we do because we've obeyed Him. Because it's belief on the Lord Jesus Christ and obedience, which begins with baptism, that brings about the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this is the comforting ministry. Look at Acts chapter 9. The comforting ministry is what Jesus promised. In John 16, when you were reading last night, 
Did you remember a verse where Jesus said, I didn't tell you these things before because I was with you. Why did you need to know them before? I was with you. You had me. That's why I didn't tell you about them before. But now that I'm going away, I'm telling you all these things about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's going to be your comforter. I've been the one encouraging you, strengthening you, inciting you, inspiriting you, and helping you do the will of God for the last three and a half years. But I'm going away, so I'm sending the comforter to do it. And he'll be with you forever. Does all that make sense? That's what Jesus taught in John 14 through 16. And the reason verse chapters 14 through 16 are in the last 12 hours of his life are because he had been with them to that point. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout... Acts 9, 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. This is the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit of God poured out on the day of Pentecost according to the promise of Jesus and John to replace the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus. We don't have the Lord Jesus with us personally in a physical body, but we have the Spirit of God inside us and among us as the replacement because He will comfort us and strengthen us and help us do all the will of God like Jesus did for the apostles while He was with them. This is the comforting ministry of the Holy Ghost. He's the seal of our eternal life. A divine stamp upon our lives. We have it on the inside by a witness where He declares to us, That we are the sons of God. We have it on the outside because we bear the evidence of a changed life. It's his seal. It's called a seal. It's called the earnest of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. The earnest. Earnest money is money that you pay as a down payment to show some seller that you are in earnest. God has given us the earnest of His Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, 2 Corinthians 1, 22, tells us that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our eternal inheritance. We have the witness on the inside, I will come back for you. You are my son, I will never lose you. We have the witness on the outside by the power to bear the fruit of the Spirit to show that we are the sons of God. The Spirit's going to raise our body from the dead. I hope you understand the day of Pentecost and what took place that day. John had promised the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I baptize with water, but there, one cometh, there, there cometh one after me who is mightier than I, whose shoe latchets I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. That was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Jesus picked it up in Acts chapter 1 and said, You wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, and it's going to happen not many days hence. Seven. One week, remember? Three, forty, plus seven equals fifty. That's what happened the day of Pentecost. The comforting ministry of the Holy Ghost was poured out. But at that time, at that time, for the period of Reformation, sign gifts appeared with it. Tongues, healing, taking up serpents, drinking deadly things, raising the dead, healing the sick. Just as promised in Mark chapter 16, the last ten verses, those things occurred for the apostolic period to confirm the apostles. Then those apostolic gifts went away, but the gift of the Holy Spirit was to last forever. John 14, 15, and 16. Let me bore you with Romans 15, 13 again. We're going to conclude in five, in five, give me five minutes, five minutes by my clock. 
five minutes to summarize a few of the benefits of the Holy Spirit. And we'll break, and when we come back, we're going to take up again the danger and the means to increase the Spirit of God in our lives, marriages, families, and church. Romans 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope. I want to tell you something about the God that's inside of me. He is the God of hope. Hollywood has never, and I mean this without exception, ever produced anything with hope. The worst thing that I hate about Hollywood movies, and I'm saying this for a lesson, please don't be disturbed by what I'm about to say, is not profanity, though I hate it, is not violence, gratuitous violence, though I hate it, it is hopelessness. Their so-called love is hopeless. Their relationships are hopeless. Everything is hopeless because they know not God. Now the God of hope. I have inside of me God the Holy Spirit who is full of hope. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. It's through the power of the Holy Ghost. That is the benefit of the Holy Spirit. If you are not filled with all joy, if you are not filled with all peace, if you are not just blown up with hope, it's because you don't have the Holy Spirit unfettered in your life. You've quenched Him or grieved Him. I've been over the point before, but I'm preaching on it for a reason. I am sick of seeing hopelessness. I'm sick of seeing joylessness. I'm sick of seeing no peace. You can have joy, peace, and hope, but I don't really know if there's much more than that. Joy, peace, and hope are wonderful things. A man without hope is at his will. He'll do anything. It's, t- it's terrible to be without hope. But we have all hope. We can abound in hope because we have a God of hope. And that God of hope wants us to have hope. And He's given us an earnest. He's given us a down payment. He swore by Himself so that you would have a sure anchor for your soul. Hebrews chapter 6. When He promised eternal life and an eternal inheritance and the spiritual Canaan called heaven for us for the rest of our lives, so that you would have hope and not think that it was just empty words, even though God spoke them, He swore with an oath. That by two immutable things, we could take refuge on that promise. He's the God of hope. A benefit of the Holy Spirit. You want fellowship? Do you want a close friend? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Do you want someone really close that will never leave you or never forsake you? If you don't, it's because you've given up hope that you'll ever find one. Because every soul craves a very close companion that would always understand and always help and always be there and never leave. We are not rocks. We are not islands, in spite of Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Common union. The communion of the Holy Spirit. 
be with you all. Amen. Do you know what Paul, do you know what Paul would reason from in Philippians chapter 2? If there be any fellowship of the Spirit. Meaning, there's a whole lot. And because there is, here's what I want you to do. If there be any fellowship of the Spirit. Philippians 2.1. This is what God has given us. And when it's in place, multiplication and blessings take place. Did you, do you remember from Acts 9.31 where it says the church was walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost? And they were multiplied. Multiplied. Growth, progress occurs by the power of the Holy Spirit. Benefits of the Holy Spirit. Do you sometimes wonder if you're praying the will of God? Do you sometimes wonder if your prayers are getting through? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and He always prays for us according to the will of God. Romans 8, 26 and 27. So when it says in the Bible, praying in the Holy Ghost, which we're going to take up when we come back, that has an enabler and a mediator praying for you, God the Holy Spirit. He knows the will of God, and he does it with groanings which cannot be uttered by you or me. He has peace that passes understanding, and he has language that passes understanding, and he communicates that language for us when we pray in the Holy Ghost. Without the fatness of the Holy Ghost in your life, you're going to be a lean soul. You're not going to have that joy, peace, and abounding hope that I just mentioned. Every verse in the Bible where there's power, strength, or might mentioned, that power, strength, or might is by the presence of the Spirit of God. If He's grieved or quenched, you are weak and impotent when it comes to the good things that you want to accomplish with your life that would please God and men. If you want renewed power, then you've got to renew your relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus had such great power in His life because He had the Spirit without measure. Great men were always filled with the Spirit in the New Testament. They had the Spirit on them or with them in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, they were filled with the Spirit. Philip was a deacon, then became an evangelist. Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost and faith and power. These men had the Holy Spirit with them. They had to. One final verse, 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. This is how I want you to read, read the Bible. Read the verses that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. I believe we would all like to find ourselves recipients of the blessings of this verse. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Would you like him to use a few more alls to get the point across? Or were there enough alls for you? And was the always good? What is that? How is that done? By what power? The power of the Spirit of God. God is able, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. This is the good word of the Lord. Amen. Written by the good Lord Himself. Purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. Executed by the Spirit of God for us. May the Lord bless the preaching of His word. Amen.